And whether you agree with me or not, that's fine. We're going to look at the Bible and find out what the Bible says today because we're dressed for victory regarding the belt of truth. And I'm telling you, I did not set that up. I didn't pre-do it that way. When I was doing the sermon, and I don't follow the news, right? I don't watch it. I don't really keep up with it. Not much at all. And when I was prepping for this message on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and kind of going through it, um, a lot of my examples were actually about abortion. And then I literally had to go in Friday morning and change some of what I was going to say because it was no longer relevant. Thank you for the three people who grabbed a hold. I had to change my message because what I was going to say was no longer relevant because of what took place on Friday. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it's final. Father, I thank you that we can stand on it, build our lives on it, and when the waves and storms of this world beat against us, we won't crumble because we're built on the rock. In Jesus' name, amen. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse, we're going to jump to verse 14 because we've, I've read you that passage a bunch. You know it. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but I want to jump to verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Last week, I told you that the breastplate of righteousness was directly connected to the belt of truth. I'm going to tell you why in a second, in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. But here we're talking about the belt of truth or gird your waist with truth. Now, How many of you appreciate belts? Like, I don't think I can express how thankful I am for a good belt. I was on a camping trip one time with with the in-laws and Caitlin, and, and my belt broke. I stopped what I was doing, jumped in the truck, and drove to the Piggly Wiggly and bought me a belt. Because I do not like being without a belt. Because I'm not in control of things when I don't have a belt on. And, and the longer that you wear, wear pants throughout the day, they start getting loose, right? And if you ain't got a belt, problems start happening. Spiritually, we walk around all day. We might start off the morning nice and high and tight and all put together. But spiritually, you go walk around a little bit in this crazy world, and things start getting a little loose, Getting a little disheveled. So you know what? You like that word, disheveled. I get a little, little disheveled. So what do you do? You just, you, you go, that's why they got multiple holes in the belt, right? So what I do is I just, I got to go, I'm going to get back in this in a minute. But when I, when I get a little disheveled, I got to just pull up, tighten that belt loop one spot. Because if not, everybody gets to see the box of briefs or whatever I'm wearing that day. And I get embarrassed and your day gets more awkward. And nobody wants that. A belt is essential. I, I was a youth pastor, and I had these things called the rules of life. And I used to just say them randomly, and rule 22 was always wear a belt. And I mean that. Like, when I see a guy without a belt, I'm like, you're being irresponsible. Like, why? I'm like, what if you need to pull somebody out of the lake? Like, what lake? I'm like, a lake, anywhere. It's a valuable tool to always have in your possession. You can hit people with it if you need to, right? Right? Every parent in the room, I've told this story so many times. You want to strike fear in my heart? Dads older than me, just take that belt off and hit them belt loops right. I will stop what I'm doing and stand at attention immediately. A belt is essential. So important. 
Roman soldiers always wore belts, and the belts were different types and sizes and different shapes because they didn't have a specific uniform. They would give you the requirements that you needed, and you had to go purchase it in and of yourself. And so belts came in different ways and shapes and colors and had different things attached to it, but they all wore different belts, but the belts all did the same thing, and it held the armor together. See, the sheath that the sword would be attached to was attached to the belt. The breastplate would be attached to the belt loosely all the way around so that when you would turn, the breastplate would follow you this way, but when you came back this way, it would stay with you. If that if never wasn't connected, if you yanked this way real hard, the breastplate would swing and it would, wouldn't protect you. So it was connected at the belt to keep it in front of you at all times. There were different ways, and some belts had a, a sash that would attach, come this way, and the shield would hook to the back of the, of the belt over the, over the top here. And then some articles that I was reading on even said that when the soldier would go, whether when he would take his armor off in the evening or to disrobe or to bathe or whatever, they, some belts would have hooks on them that every piece of the armor could be attached to, and it would sit on the ground on the side so all of his equipment would stay together. The belt held everything together. It held everything together. Now that we know what the belt did, of course, we can look at it spiritually and we know it's the belt of truth. Y'all, I'm going to have some fun this morning. It's going to be fun. Just as the belt did everything in the armor, the truth holds everything together in our spiritual lives. This is because everything we believe, say, and do should be grounded in truth. But I want you to understand, look at verse 14. Standing therefore, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Notice how it doesn't have an adjective before truth. It doesn't say stand having girded your waist with God's truth or kingdom truth or the Holy Spirit's truth. It just says gird your waist with truth. Why is that important? It's important because truth is not an idea. Truth is not an opinion. Truth is not a perspective. Truth is, truth is not a certain doctrine or held belief. Truth is a person. It's a person. So gird myself with truth is to gird myself with a person. And I'm so thankful that Jesus made it really easy when we want to know who the truth is. He did it himself. I am the way, the truth and the life. He made, he canceled all arguments. He didn't say, I know the truth. I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to teach you the truth. He said, baby, I am the truth. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. I am the truth. I want to look at two ideas that affect many of us. You don't even realize it. And how we should use the belt of truth to hold ourselves together. Go to John 17, 14 through 17. We're going we're gonna to dig into to verse 17, and then we're going to dig into one of the verses today. We're going to go for it. I want to let you know something, though, when I heard this said this week when I was studying for this, and it totally changed my perspective. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the top of John 17, right at the beginning of the chapter, and I want you to write the words, the real Lord's Prayer. The real Lord's Prayer. You know Why? The one that we know of the Lord's Prayer is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Jesus can't pray that. He don't have any trespasses. So it's not, that's not his prayer. That's his model of how we should pray. 
This is his prayer. You know why? Because we can't pray it. He's the only one who can. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Let's dig into verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. I'll get to that in a second. Your word is truth. The first word I want to look to is sanctify. Sanctify is to separate, and it's an ongoing process. So the first thing I want you to understand about the belt of truth, what it does is it should be separating you. Separating me from what? Let's just read backwards. Verse 15, oh, verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, separate them from what? From the world. Please listen to me. As a Christian, if you are not slowly but surely looking less like unbelievers and more like Jesus, you're not walking after him, he's not Lord of your life, and you're not wearing the belt of truth. We don't get to dictate how we serve Jesus. That is a completely empty and false statement. You can't dict- a, a server cannot dictate how they serve me my food. They work for a restaurant, and the restaurant dictates how they serve the food. If they don't serve according to the standard of the restaurant, they lose their job. They should. So we're supposed to be separate, sanctify them. Now, I need to, I need to make sure we draw some, some stuff here separate them. Now go back to verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. I'm sorry, but Jesus is not praying that we sell everything, go buy 500 acres, and live on farms and ranches and have a great glory. Y'all, I would love to live in the middle of nowhere with a ranch and I could shoot stuff off my front porch. That would be fantastic. But Jesus literally prays, I pray, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus is saying, I want you to keep them in it so you can separate them from it so the people who are lost will know what it's supposed to look like. But if I'm constantly separating myself from the world and I'm not just being separated to Christ, I'm not doing what Jesus prayed for me to do. Separate. We're to be separate. The separation is not where we live, but it's how we live. Separating is not adhering to the religious actions, but by living for Jesus, who is the embodiment of truth. Now, next in this verse, I have to deal with some some semantics. If you look at verse 17 real quick. Sanctify them by your truth. Now, I just said a minute ago that Ephesians 6 does not have an adjective before the word truth, yet here it puts your truth, right? And that's a big deal I'm going to get into in a second. This is where we get into the translations and how it was translated from manuscripts back and forth. When you dig into the commentaries and you dig into all the different words, what they do, most scholars that I have read do not put the word your, that they put the word thee. Why? Why did it not seem to matter when they did the King James Version? It's because back then nobody said your truth and my truth. There was just the truth. And everyone knew who the truth was. It was God or it wasn't. 
But there was no reason that the pronoun was an issue. Today, our society has a fetish with really screwing up pronouns. And so this is just another one thrown in the mix, right? Your truth, my truth. No, there's the truth. It's a person. I can introduce you to him if you'd like. Sanctify them by your truth. The word is truth. Your word is truth. Why is it important? I want to read you this in the Amplified. Sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart for your purposes and make them holy. Your word is truth. Why does this matter? That I'm being so big on the fact that it's the truth, the truth, it's a person. It's because today, and here we're going to camp out for a minute. Today, truth is taught in, in two forms when you get into philosophy. It's taught in two, this is a big picture, we're not diving all the way in. But there are two different ways that truth is taught right now. And this thinking is, it makes our way into our lives. We just don't realize it. Now, one form of it is relative reasoning or relative truth. And what relative truth is, is it's truth. I want to make sure I read it right. Is absolute. Relative truth is absolute within the confines of culture. So what is true in German culture is absolutely true. But what's true in Chinese culture is also absolutely true. And so depending upon which culture you're from, what background you have, that is absolutely true. And what this is, is this is a misappropriation of facts. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's a misappropriation of facts. Facts are accurate, but aren't always true. Say it again. Facts are accurate, but are not always true. For example, up until Friday, on Thursday, June 23rd, 2022, it was a fact that abortion was legal in all 50 states. That was a fact. It was an accurate fact. But just because it was an accurate fact doesn't mean it was true. Because truth isn't an idea. Truth is a person. And even though it was legal in 50 states, it's always been illegal in the court of heaven. And so because our culture said that it was okay to do this, it was relative to our culture that this is what we deem is right, so it's absolute. But in our reality, it's just a fact. You've made it that way, but it does not make it true. It was at one time a fact that if you were a Jew, you could be put in a concentration camp. Why? Because it was relative to German culture that was run by demonic Nazi socialism and Nazi propaganda and Nazi idea and a worldview that what happened is they began to create facts and present them as truth instead of adhering to what actually is truth. You want to know what the problem with racism is? Relative reasoning. I'm going to come down here for this one. See, what happens is I'm a white guy. I don't know if y'all know. And so there are things that I see from my culture, the way I was raised, that might be accurate. Don't mean it's true. Doesn't mean it's true. But what we do is we take the facts of our culture and we apply them as truth and that's why we treat people differently. 
because we're taking the fact of something we think is true because my grandpa taught me and my daddy taught me and my uncle taught me and my grandma taught me. Well, guess what? They all taught you facts that were not true. And this is in both cases, both situations. The African-American community has been taught facts that are accurate but are not true. Why? Truth says love your neighbor as yourself. Truth says as you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. That's what truth says. But the problem is we have relative reasoning. We have relative truth in our minds, and we go in day in and day out living with relative truth at the forefront rather than the supreme truth, which is Jesus. But see, this isn't even the worst one. That's relative truth. The one I think is the bigger problem is subjective truth. Because see, in relative truth, they, can, they concede that there is an absolute, but the absolute is determined by the culture. Subjective truth, there is no absolutes. You, will, you can go on YouTube, you can find lectures on, on subjective reasoning and subjective moral reasoning, and they will tell you that there are no absolutes, which is a self-defeating statement because you're making an absolute statement by saying there are no absolutes. There are no absolutes. I'm absolutely certain. So the argument falls apart before you even get to have a debate with people. But subjective moral reasoning, instead of the culture being the center of defining what truth is, the individual is the center of defining what truth is. See, now, before is a misappropriation of facts. This is a misappropriation of perspective. Because, see, it's the way I see things. It's the way I feel about things. That's true. I feel that I should be able to identify as an elephant. Because I feel like an elephant. And therefore, because I feel that way, it is true. And not only is it true, but you have to accept it as my truth. And you have to treat my truth the same way I'm supposed to treat your truth. But what happens when my truth infringes upon your truth? What happens when my relative reasoning, my culture's truth, infringes on your culture's truth? That's when we have wars. And these are two competing things that happen, and they're all over our society. They're all over our nation. They're what's tearing our nation apart at the seams because we, are, we, we will not concede that there is an absolute truth and everything should be built and centered around it because in order to admit that there's an absolute truth, you have to admit that there is an absolute truth standard. And if there is an absolutely true standard, you have to agree that there is someone who set the absolutely true standard. And when you agree that someone has to set the absolutely true standard, well, that person has to be absolutely true. And when you try to find someone who is absolutely true, the list gets small really, really fast until eventually you're left with one person and he's been given the name that's above every other name and at the name every knee's gonna bow. But see, people don't want to accept the fact because once you realize that he is absolute truth, you only have two choices. You can bow now or you can bow later. I don't know if y'all are feeling what I'm feeling, but what? 
So the, the challenge is, is that you may say, Pastor Chris, I'm not living a subjective life. No, you probably are. You're just not saying you want to be an elephant. You're saying you want to hold an offense. You're saying that you don't want to have a devotion life. You're saying you don't want to obey the Lord and do what he told you to do. You're saying that you don't want to tithe. You're saying you don't want to submit to spiritual authority. That's still subjective because you're the center. You're, you might be saying, well, well, my family, we don't do that. We, 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 family, blood is thicker than everything. I agree, but his blood is thicker than everything. I'm going to tell you something right now. My family and I are very involved in this ministry, but I can promise you one thing. The second any of us start doing something that is not in line with the word, y'all are going to have to tell us nothing. They're going to beat the fire out of me so fast, it ain't even funny. Because while I would stand with my family regardless, I got, a, I got something else I stand for more. Above family, and it's Jesus. And if my family decides to do something contrary to Jesus, sorry. Though few go with me, or though none go with me, still I will follow. See, I went to children's church way back in the day. Because I have decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. So, now that I know that there's subjective reasoning, I know that there's a problem, I know that his word is truth. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God in the beginning. This here is the standard of truth. Now that I know what the standard of truth is, and I know what it's supposed to, it's supposed to hold me together. It's supposed to keep me straight. How do I tighten the belt of truth day in and day out? How do I tighten it? How do I make sure that this remains the standard and not this? Or this remains the standard and not this? Or not this? Or not whatever I think I belong to in a relative sense? How do I tighten the belt of truth? Go to James chapter 1 verse 22. James chapter 1 verse 22. But be doers. Say doers. Of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. My word. For if anyone is a hearer of the word but then a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not, for, and not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Verse 25, we, we, we see be doers of the word, not just hearers. Please hear me out. Please, please, please hear me out. I do not want to preach sermons to make you feel some kind of way. I, I, don't, I don't study, I don't pray, I don't work on my delivery and my communication and my vocabulary. I don't do those things to preach a sermon that entertains people and that people enjoy. Because when you sit down and you hear some good preaching, it can be enjoying. Like I, I like good preaching. Doesn't matter what the topic is. If the preacher is good, I'm, I'm there. But I don't want you... I don't want a church filled with people who like the way I preach because of the style and delivery. I want people who come and hear the word and then do it. If not, I will stop 
because this job is not easy. I thought I knew it was going to be difficult. But I don't want hearers. I don't want to be a hearer. Because two chapters later, it says, if any of you wants to be a teacher, you should realize that you'll be judged more strictly because you're a teacher. So James says, be doers. Look at, look at verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his face in a natural mirror. Natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see what this, you know what this is? This is not just a book. It's not just a sword. It's not just a living, breathing, acting, infallible word of God. It is all those things. It's also a mirror. The difference is, is that this mirror is twofold. The ones at your house show you what you look like. This one shows you what you look like and what you should look like. So when I look at the mirror, I, I should see where I am and where I should be. But what happens is I get around it and I look at it and I hear it and I, rec- I, I, I chew on it for a minute, but then when I go to work, I put it down and I forget it and I stop looking like what it says I'm supposed to look like and I go back to being who I look like when Jesus died to save me from being and looking like who I am. So it says that he who looks into the word and does not do it is like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. How dumb would that be? Like, I mean... My wife is absolutely beautiful. I mean, just absolutely beautiful. Yesterday, we were going out for my birthday. Went to Vincent's and had a phenomenal steak and a cannoli. My Lord. I got a problem. Them cannolis. I drive to Metairie with $10 worth in a gallon. $10 a gallon for gas. I'd still drive to Metairie and get a cannoli from Vincent's. Tell you, it's unbelievable. But I had a little allergy attack yesterday for some reason. And I took some medicine, and I passed out on the couch at about 3 o'clock. And we had to leave for 545. I got up from the sofa at 525, and I was ready to leave before she was, and she had been getting ready for like an hour, sitting in front of the mirror, right? Because that's just what ladies do. I understand it. I'm, I've accepted the fact. It is what it is. But how crazy would it be if my wife sat there for about an hour, maybe 45 minutes, and looked at that mirror the whole time, and then walked off and forgot what she looked like. That's, that you would say that would be crazy. I told you, you got to talk to me, right? That's crazy, right? Why we do it every Sunday? Why, why do we sit there for 45 minutes, 40 minutes, look into the word, and then get in our car, and before we're at the red light by CVS and Walgreens, we forgot what we looked like, and we acting like Chris. We acting like Rustin. We acting like Bo. Why? Because we're only being hearers. Only being hearers. Now, verse 25, we're going to hang out here. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. Mm. The perfect law of liberty. You do realize that there is nobody in our society that believes there's such thing as perfect law. You know that, right? Nobody's going to agree there's a perfect law. See, relative reasoning believes perfect law is whatever allows their facts to be true and deemed right and all facts contrary and therefore illegal. Relative reasoning says this is what my culture thinks and if you don't like it, you're wrong and it's illegal. You know what that is? 
That's not liberty. That's tyranny. That's what happens. That's what happened in Nazi Germany. A certain group of people that believed the same way took over a nation, said that their way was true, and everything else was opposite, and they plunged the world into a war on every continent but Antarctica. Plunged the whole world into a war because of it. That's tyranny. But subjective reasoning believes perfect law is whatever allows their perspective to be deemed right and all perspectives contrary deemed wrong and rendered illegal. This is not liberty, but this is anarchy. Y'all remember that thing in Seattle or Portland one of Chaz? What was it? Chop? Chaz? I literally, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. A city with no laws. You can do whatever you want. Y'all remember how, how long that lasted before some gang rolled up in there and took over? It was like 18 minutes. I spent more time at a Chick-fil-A drive-thru than it took for somebody to come in there and take over that whole setup. No, it is a lie. Chick-fil-A's quick. Let's do McDonald's. Let's do McDonald's. Chick-fil-A's, I don't want to, you know, slander the Lord's chicken. So, but that's anarchy. You can do what you want. Imagine right now if they passed a law that said there are no more laws. The irony of that statement. They passed a law that there are no more laws except the law that says there can be no laws. You can do whatever you want. How long would it take our society to absolutely lose their minds? You couldn't make a cup of coffee before you had to shoot somebody trying to steal your family. Like it would be that ridiculous that fast. That's anarchy. But that's when the individual is at the center. It becomes whoever the most powerful individual is, is the one that makes the rules. When it's relative, it's whatever culture is the most powerful culture makes the rules. Thank God truth is not determined by the most powerful fallen culture or the most powerful fallen person. But it's determined by the one person who's not fallen and the one person who's always true and faithful, and it's Jesus. And so this says when he looks into perfect Law of liberty. The irony that there is a perfect law that produces liberty. The only way that could ever be possible is if that perfect law was set by him. Because he's the only perfect one. He looks to perfect law of liberty. He's the standard by which all is deemed right or wrong. This is liberty because now I don't have to figure out what right and wrong is. I just have to look like Jesus. And not only do I just have to look like Jesus, but he gave me his Holy Spirit to help me do it. That's why I can do exceedingly above all I could ask or hope or imagine according to his power at work within us. What power? That's the Holy Spirit. But notice how it says he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. Oh, Lord, Lord, help us, and continues in it. When being honest, we have all found ourselves at one time or another in disagreement with this book. Now, maybe you've never disagreed with a position of doctrine, or maybe you've never disagreed with a uh, 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 theological point of view, but maybe you have felt like you did not want to treat said person the way this book says you should. That's in disagreement with the word. But God, they don't deserve it. I know they don't. 
Let's talk about what you don't deserve. When we look into the perfect and continue in it. See, there we all look at things from a subjective point of view at times, and we all look at things from a relative point of view at times because we're fallen and we're flawed. But it says that he continues in it. How I tighten the belt of truth. Oh, y'all, y'all got to catch this. How I tighten the belt of truth is by looking in the mirror at truth, seeing where I don't line up, and making myself line up. When I look at this, and it says that in Christ there's no Jew, nor Greek, nor free, nor slave, nor male, nor female. He's not giving me the freedom to not have a gender. He's saying that I don't look at anyone different. I, you're either in Christ or you're not. When I see that, I no longer have the right. Galatians chapter 3, in case you were curious and needed some doctrinal background for what I'm saying. Galatians 3, 28-ish. It says that there are no Jew, no Greek, no free, no slave, no male, no people, for all are one under Christ. You know what that means? That I cannot look at anyone different than me and treat them other than the way Jesus said I'm supposed to. So if I am doing that, because remember, you have relative reasoning from the way you were brought up, and if you were taught to do it one way, taught to think one way, that's, that is what it is. But it's your job, because he gave you the belt of truth, to see in the mirror there's an error, and tighten the belt of truth until I look like what the mirror says I should look like. This, this, this can go so many, I could preach on this for the next, I could preach till worship night. Just keep going. Oh, nah, bro, they ain't ready, bro. They ain't, we ain't ready for all that. We ain't ready for all that. But you see, Pastor Chris, I, I try. You ever tried at anything, right? You ever, you ever tried? I've tried. I've tried to do that. Have you ever not been able to do it? You know, there's, there's this, go to Romans 7. I sent on the page. I want, I want to tell you, can I, do you know the Bible knows what you're like already? Like Paul wrote it a whole bunch of years ago. Go to Romans chapter 7. Real quick, we're going to jump to verse 15. Tell me if this has ever been anybody in here. You, it ain't even going to be up there unless you want to pull it up on me. Romans 7, verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will or want to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. I don't know if that's ever been you, but it's been me. Where I want to do certain things, but I do not do them. And the things I want to do, I do not do. Maybe I'm the only one. I mean, I, I heard somebody say yes, so maybe there's somebody else in here that can say that they want to do what this book says to do, but they just don't do it. And they really want to, but you just don't do it. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever prayed for God to heal anybody? Ever? Raise your hand if you ever prayed for somebody to be healed, ever. Have you, put your hands in. Have you ever prayed for God to move and do a miracle on your finances? Raise your hand. You ever prayed for God to do a miracle in your marriage? You ever, have you ever asked God to do anything at all, ever? 
If I said right now we have an emer a, a medical emergency and such and such is rushed to the hospital and I need everybody up out of their seat up at the front praying, we would have ourselves one Holy Ghost-filled prayer jam session at this front. We had one when Miss Jenny got her accident. Everybody in the building joined. We had ourselves a prayer time and a half up in here. Why is it that it's so easy to ask God to do things like that, but we never seem to have the same faith when it's time to ask God to change us? Father, Holy Spirit, I got a prejudice problem. Fix it, please. Amen. Holy Spirit, I got a pride problem. Because I was taught well, and my family does well financially, and I judge everybody who don't have it together. Fix me. Father, I was brought up in a family that didn't treat women well. Fix me. Why? We have no problem praying for all these other things. When was the last time we applied the same faith and the same power we believe in as other, other areas to change me, to change you? Listen, it is not wrong to be in a position of disagreement with Scripture. It is wrong to live in a position of disagreement with Scripture once you know it's in disagreement. James 4, 17, for the man who knows what to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. You got to understand, I understand that there are things that you're not going to do right and I'm not going to do right. Why? Because I'm falling. But it is not my job to call you out for falling. It's my job for, to call you out when you fall and say, nah, this is right. I'm, I'm so sick of hearing, not that anybody here says this, but it's all over the, the I don't know, look, y'all could pray for me, but you ain't got to defend me. If I post something on Facebook and like all hell unleashes on me, don't, don't defend me. Don't waste time arguing. I'm going to let the lion of the tribe of Judah deal with them. I ain't got to worry about it, right? It is what it is. They got people threatening me and trying to get Cody fired. Let's try, please. Let's go for it. Hallelujah. Anyway, let me see you at Walmart. Let's see what happens. See who's God's bigger. Anyway, sorry. But sorry. I told y'all I'm feeling some kind, of, some kind of way up here this morning. But, but, don't judge me. You can't judge me. No, I can't pass judgment on you. But Pastor Chris, what about it? Matthew 6 where it says, don't judge lest ye be judged for the same measure, Romans 2, same measure which you judge will be done upon you. Or Matthew 7 where it says, how therefore you see the plank in your brother's eye, but you have a log come out of your own. First deal with the log in your own, then you deal with the speck in his, right? We can't judge. We can't judge. No, I cannot pass or pronounce judgment on you. But John 7, 24 is, I don't know, when everybody Googles judge in the Bible or go to Bible Gateway, nobody ever quotes this verse. It's amazing how we even get subjective and relative in our Bible quoting. But John 7, 24 says to judge with righteous judgment. You know what that means? That means that I'm supposed to judge because it says to judge. King James says judge ye. Just to give you a little extra ump there. It gets totally ye in there with it. Judge with righteous I'm supposed to come to a determination filtered through the righteousness of God. 
What does that mean? That means when you come to me and you are walking with me, I'm your brother and sister in Christ, and we're walking together. We're in agreement. We're going the same place. And you begin to do something that is unrighteous. It is my job. It is my commandment from the Lord to come to a judgment filtered through righteousness about it. Why? Because if not, how am I ever supposed to help you? But you know what the problem is? The problem is, is we don't ever judge ourselves. We never look at this book and say, I don't look like that. I don't talk like that. I don't live like that. Husbands, when's the last time you went to Ephesians 4, read it, and said, I'm doing this? Wives, when's the last time you went to Ephesians 4 and said, I'm doing this? What about my husband? I never asked you about your husband. I never asked you about your wife. I never asked you what kind of person they are. I'm asking you what kind of person you are. Are you a Christian or not? Are you a Bible-believing Christian or not? Because if you are, then that's the standard of truth. And it doesn't matter how they treat you, how they talk about you, how they respond to you dictates how you treat them because you're not living for them. You're living for him. That's why we have to take a look at that book and tighten the belt. Why do you think it's got so many holes? Y'all, the belt of truth has got so many holes in it. Because the more we feed our flesh physically, we do what? The more we feed our, our flesh spiritually. But the more shirt I got to tuck in pants, the more shirt that can come out of pants. Right? That's more area I got to keep tucked in. That's why Jesus says, if any man wants to be my disciple, he must what? He must what? No, 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 no. Y'all skipped it. Y'all, y'all got to learn your Bible. What's the first part? Deny himself. What? Y'all laughing? I said it backwards. Oh, I never heard you. I never heard you. <laughs> Deny himself. When's the last time you told yourself no? I want a snowball. No. Why? Why can't I have a snowball? Just so you can get good at telling yourself no. That's why you should say no. I love sugar shack snowballs too. Like there's like the sugar shack is the snowballs where Chick-fil-A is the chicken. It's God's. There's other good places. But there's just another, you know, it's just an I used to say Popeyes was up to, I, I can't do Popeyes anymore. I just got old. I don't know. I mean, I turned 35 yesterday, maybe, I don't know. I mean, whatever. I know that's not old. Everybody's like, oh, my God, it's not old. I understand. But I don't know where I was going with that. Deny myself. Because when I deny myself, I'm living like Jesus did. Do you think he wanted to go to the cross? No, he denied himself. But you know why he was able to deny himself to do something so big? Because he denied himself doing small things all the way along. It's my job to deny myself. But you see, in closing, I want to say it once. You want to know what we should be doing? Our life should be Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Y'all ain't ready for the next word, though. Try me. 
You all have, you have, you ever seen young people, or maybe you're young enough, you've done it. People start getting into the argument. Try me, man. Try me. See if you're bad. Try me. You know what God's saying? Okay. Let me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. He said, let me try you. David says, try me. Give me situations so that I can even see what's in my own life. Come and stir up the water in my life so that I could see the dirt that's in it. Come and open the closet door so I can find the junk that needs to come out. Come bring a situation along. See, we don't want this. We don't want a tough situation. We want things to be easy. No, God, bring me those things so that in the middle of that frustrating time, I can see things in me that don't look like you that I wouldn't see otherwise and see if there is any wicked way in me. We've got to stop trying to justify ourselves, protect ourselves, and get away with what we want to get away with because we feel like it because we feel like we have a right and for some reason we think that the constitution trumps scripture and just because I live in a country that says I can have life, liberty, pursuit of happiness means that that doesn't have any guidelines or restrictions to it no I have to live according to the one who gave his life for me see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me I don't know where I'm going lead me in the way of everlasting I don't know what I'm doing but day by day, day by day, I want to walk after him. Day by day. And every day, I got to tighten that belt of truth. Every day. Would you stand with me this morning?